I ran into a friend of mine who's a rabbi the other day. Well, she's a rabbi all the time, actually. I just ran into her the other day. It came out funny. So I ran into my rabbi friend, how about that, uh, the other day um, when we were both out shopping. And, uh, and we just had time to sit down and catch a cup of coffee with each other. And so we did that. And, and I um, asked her how everything was going. And I said, you know, I know, Hanukkah was at such a funny time. I bet all your holiday shopping is over, you know. And, but, well, was it stressful? That's what I'm out for. I'm in the middle of all of this. And she said, well, um, I don't really do any holiday shopping. And then she said, I feel so guilty saying that to people because everybody else is so stressed out about theirs. That is certainly true for me. I don't give a whole lot of gifts, but I spend a whole lot of time worrying about the ones that I give. So it kind of equals out, you know. As I was thinking about this platform, I... um. I recognize, of course, that we celebrate lots of different holidays here, you know, and, and some of you may have indeed done most of your gift giving already or have it still ahead of you. My mother sent me a uh, cartoon from the New Yorker a couple of weeks ago. I already see heads nodding. It's a couple at a party, big, you know, sort of decorations behind them and, and glasses of something mirthful and cheery in their hands. And the woman says <clears throat> to the person that she's talking to, all I know is that some of the best Christmas presents I've ever gotten have come from secular humanists. So I decided we were on safe ground, although the New Yorker is setting humanists up for a little more pressure this holiday season. Perhaps many of you are in the same boat that I am in, with gifts to give and therefore angst to have. Here's my problem. On the one hand, gifts. Oh, I love giving gifts. Yay, the smile on someone's face, finding that perfect thing that just speaks to their very essence and soul and meaning in the world. Yay, hooray, gifts. On the other hand, I walk into Target or Costco, which is as close as I get to the mall, and part of my soul dies a little bit. All that stuff all that plastic, all that commercialism. And the part of my soul that's dying wants it, you know. (laughs) I texted my husband earlier this season as I was walking through Costco buying things for Thanksgiving food and asked whether we might perhaps need a life-size nutcracker (laughs) in our home. He said no. We didn't. We didn't, and I didn't get it, and it wouldn't have fit in my car. But truly, it was taller than I am, that <laughs> nutcracker. It gets really bad in our house in December because my older daughter's birthday is December 15th. She was actually due on Christmas Day. So she was clever to come early, I think. I think having a birthday right on Christmas Day in a family that celebrates Christmas can be a little bit tricky. So she came early, but it means that December just sort of, it starts around Thanksgiving and the gifts just, they, I think she thinks when people ring the doorbell in December, they have come with a gift for her. That, you know. So I have been thinking about all of this and sort of how to manage the 
flow of stuff into my house and out of my house and how to get the perfect thing that will show the person that I care about them and know them deeply in their soul. And about this platform and gift giving and gift receiving. And this, so this platform actually had many iterations over the weeks as I thought about what I might want to talk about. There was a version which was about sort of stocking stuffers and international trade law. That was one version. How, how much of international trade law do you have to understand to be able to purchase stocking stuffers ethically? <laughs> I gave up. Another one was how to give subtly influential gifts to your extended family so that inch by inch or step by step, see it, it really went beautifully with the song, you move them toward your own values, but you still appear to be thoughtful and fun. <laughs> for instance, I found a book for a cousin, a 14-year-old boy. It's a graphic novel, which Politics and Prose told me is what 14-year-old boys read, by a graphic novelist who's very cool, and by Congressman John Lewis, and it's about the creation of the March on Washington. <laughs> It's possible that I will be the aunt nobody wants to get gifts from, but <laughs> so that was one platform. And then, you know, gift cards, their merits, you know, how do you pick them correctly? How do you give them? What do you do when you find them years later and you haven't cashed them in? Can you still use them? Then I came across a poem from Alice Walker that I'd like to share with you. It's called, And in the Red Box. And in the red box, tied with red ribbons, tell me justice lies. And school books for children, tell me there is a sandwich for the man starving on the corner. Tell me when Christmas comes, peace and a warm fire, happiness, and joy, an end to selfishness comes with it. Well, how do you buy any presents after that? It's something, isn't it, that poem? I read it last night over the phone to my mother, and she said, well, you can't put it at the end of your platform. <laughs> but it's at the heart of the gift-giving problem for me, I think. All this worry about what book to get for my second cousin once removed or whether my daughter would like this doll or that doll. And then there are these deep justice issues in the world. Deep inequality, deep need. So what do you do with all that? When do you need the life-size nutcracker or the version in your life? And when don't you? When do you need Alice Walker's red box? So often in an ethical life, a spiritual life, we discover that, that what life is about is living intention. Having two things be true at the same time, paradoxically. 
And that, for me, is sort of at the, at the heart of the season, I think, because there is a joy in giving, in gift-giving, in gift-receiving. For me, that joy comes from what I choose to give and from how I give it, from the connection I feel. There is that joy there. And I'm not sure I want to lose that entirely, you know. But I don't want to lose the red box either. As I thought about this topic, I thought about how easy it is to just sort of let that red box, Alice Walker's red box, kind of um, lead us down down the wayward garden path to, to the garden of guilt, you know. So easy to go into that sense of guilt and so unhelpful. You know, guilt is such an unhelpful emotion, one that we use, I think, as an excuse. It's kind of a stuck emotion. I remember saying, actually, exactly this phrase to somebody in this room. I don't know if you'll remember. We were talking about uh, feeding our families and healthy eating. And um, and I said, uh, well, you know, oh, we try, and, you know, I buy Annie's macaroni and cheese instead of, that's organic. Um, and uh, And... So I try really hard, but, you know, we just really don't like a lot of vegetables in our family. And we definitely don't eat any kale. You know, I don't eat kale at at all. But at least I feel guilty about that. (laughs) And she said to me, I don't think that's the idea. (laughs) Guilt is this emotion that we get stuck in, you know, as though being guilty is sort of the goal or the aim. Well, I feel guilty, so... So that's good, and I'm done now. I can finish thinking about it. And so I've been thinking instead about the idea, the idea of meaning and hope that I think is wrapped up in that poem. The meaning that we want to create in our own lives and in the lives of others. The meaning and the hope and the justice we want to create in the world. So over the few weeks that I've been thinking about this, I've been gathering sort of practical answers to gift-giving, and and, and that's really for a selfish reason, because I've been wanting to figure out how to make gift-giving feel good to me and to my family. And I want to share some of those with you, because they're great ones. There's a, a concept, which you're probably familiar with, although I didn't know this term anyway, called relational giving. It's the idea of giving gifts that serve to connect us to each other. Things like time with each other, coupons, you know. Remember the coupon booklets that you used to make for your parents? You know, one hug um, for Christmas time. And, and, and so I, I liked the way Rob McCoy put it. Rob McCoy is a, a Christian minister who blogs at um, Fat Pastor. Great blog. And, uh, and here's how he wrote it. Buy gifts that will improve relationships not just add to clutter. A few years ago, he writes, my brother, sister, our spouses, and I decided that we weren't going to buy each other presents. Instead, we gave our parents a night with the grandkids, which I hope was a present that they wanted. And (laughs) probably it was. And the six of us went to dinner and bowling. I don't get to see them nearly as much as I'd like, so I cherish that night we shared much more than any T-shirt or book that they might have gotten me. And then he talks about relational giving with a real thing. He says, last year my daughter got a big Lego Star Wars set for Christmas. It was great. But the best part of that gift were the hours we spent together working on it. Then Ron Lieber wrote a great blog post for the New York Times called The Holidays, A Bit More Giving, A Bit Less Getting. 
And I think he too gets at the heart of the tension of the season. He writes, how do we begin to change the tenor of the season without becoming an army of Scrooges? And so he has some ideas that his family has done. The last day of Hanukkah, which is the holiday that they celebrate in the wintertime, although he says you could do it any time. The last day of Hanukkah is about giving. So there are small presents exchanged on the other days, but that final day people choose where to give in a charitable way. He has a practice that many of your families may have, if you have small children at home or or bring gifts to small children, to give away an old toy for each new one that comes in. It's also a um, plastic item management technique in your home. This year, my family actually took it a little further. Marcella received so many toys and presents from her birthday party that she chose to give about half of them, the new toys, away to wider circle. Now, lest you think she is remarkably altruistic, let me tell you that mostly she is picky. (laughs) But use what you have and make meaning from it. And Wider Circle was wonderful when we went there with these toys. They took us up to a room that they have, they call it the North Pole, where parents can come, their clients can come and choose a gift. So all of the presents are unwrapped. Parents can go shopping for their children and choose exactly what their child might like. And they let Marcella kind of put put the toy out in the room and display it just so, so that somebody would pick out the bead kit, you know, that their child might want. So that was a fun, a fun thing to add into the holidays for us. And then Ron Lieber had another great idea to do checks. If you write a check for a child, which many of us do with extended family, you know, and ultimately probably that 14-year-old cousin of mine would prefer a check to the um, uh, <laughs> values-based um, action book I got for him. If you write a check to a child, send one check for the child and then a check in the same amount with the two line blank and instructions that the child is to make that check out to and deliver it to a charity of their choice and to let you know what they choose. And I have a way to get to know. I thought that was such a neat, a neat way to both build a relationship with someone who's far away from you and also introduce the idea of charitable giving as part of what we do in the holiday season and all year. And a family at West had a great example of um, sort of a balance of relational giving, escaping commercialisms, and still really giving true gifts to each other. This, um, this parent talked about her children when they were young coming up with a great way to celebrate Hanukkah in their family. They already, they did Christmas as well, so there were already a lot of presents, and so they chose to have a feast on the first night of Hanukkah, a music night on the last night, and all of the nights in the middle Each person took turns giving presents to the rest of the family, but the rule was you couldn't spend more than $5 for each person. So, of course, there was an imaginative competition for how how you could give something that was meaningful and fun and no more than $5 a person. The parent recounted um, songs sung, poems, foot rubs, um, spending $25 at at the store and cooking dinner for the whole family all of the ways to bring kind of relational giving and keep the joy and the fun in the season. And then I found, as I was looking at all of these, some words of caution to not get too wrapped up in the drama of of sort of every gift being the perfect symbol of how you want to live and be in the world for all time. 
This was from Valerie Tarico, who I quoted from last week, actually. This is the list uh, that the AHA, the American Humanist Association, put out about humanists kind of making it through the holidays. And she talked about gift-giving. She said, balance your gift-giving. Stand on principle some of the time. Face it, certain kinds of gifts don't mean much, but the but not giving them does. Your integrity doesn't stand or fall based on whether you give token gifts to your boss, coworkers, or neighbors. Go to Starbucks, buy a dozen gift cards, or if time costs you less than money right now, bake those cookies. Tell people you wish them well because you do, and be done with it. And I liked that idea as well, figuring out where you wanted to invest your time and spirit and where, you know, you could go and buy, as Mary pointed out, perhaps a handful of fair trade chocolate bars and be done with it. I love all of those practical ideas, those ideas for how to give gifts in a way that connect us to each other. But there's something deeper, too, that's behind them for me and behind the whole gift-giving season, I think. I was thinking about this just this week as I experienced my first elementary school uh, holiday season. So my daughter is in kindergarten, and obviously this is the first time we've come to this season. And I got a letter home in the in the Thursday folder where they send lots of things home that you're supposed to then do something with. And um, so I got a letter from the room parent saying that she was organizing a voluntary collection for the teacher and two other sort of staff in the school that we had adopted. And uh, it was totally voluntary, but if you liked, you could give a check, and she would put it all together. And I thought, this is fantastic. This is perfect. I will happily write a check for this, and she'll get it from whomever is able to do that, and the teacher will feel the love from the class and hopefully get a gift card that would actually be useful. Teachers spend a lot of their own money on supplies. And no child in a very socioeconomically diverse class, which is what my daughter's kindergarten class is like, would be singled out. So I got the check-in. I even actually got it in on time, which was something of a miracle, and, um, and looked forward to hearing about it. And then guess what I saw as I walked my daughter to school that morning? Kids with gift bags. They're still giving gifts to their teachers. So I had a moment, of course, of, oh, no, I didn't know she was also supposed to bring a gift. I wasn't aware. But the awesome thing about being clergy is that you can turn your sort of own insecurities and minor holiday failures into prophetic stands. That's what's happening right now, people. And so as I thought about this, I thought about the idea of sort of gift escalation and gift obligation. You know, the pieces that feel least like the season, uh, the spirit of giving and, um, and giving freely and happily. You know, now she has to bring gift bags in too because the other kindergartners bring gift bags and then the teacher will think she doesn't like her. Well, that's ridiculous. Of course she likes her teacher, even though she didn't bring a gift bag. And so that's the, the deeper piece for me, I think, somehow. That when we feel obligated around our gifts, whether it's obligated to get a gift for someone because, you know, of course you have to, or, or um, to participate in a gift exchange, the sort of ongoing gift exchange. Do you have those with extended family where then you think what they've sent you that year is a little nicer than what you sent them, and so then the next year you need to really up your game, but they got yours and they adjusted down, and like it's years of everybody being a little bit off, <clears throat> Or when we're obligated to get a certain kind of gift, we think the latest or the greatest or the most, that that's 
That's really for me when we lose sight of that spirit of giving, not to mention when we begin to sort of, you know, not really like the people on our list because they're causing us such stress. That's an internal thing, not... So there's a theological concept, I think, that for me is what separates gift-giving that feels like obligation and escalation from gift-giving that feels really sweet and right to me. And that theological concept is grace. Grace is the idea of that which we receive from the world, from the universe, undeserved, unasked for, freely given, available to all, with no expectation of something in return. Those gifts are the very favorite kind of gifts that I give. The ones that I give for friends with whom I have no established gift exchange. And whom I say as I hand them the gift, please do not get me something in return. I am not starting a gift exchange tradition here. God forbid. But I saw this and I thought of you. And I wanted to give it to you. Because it made me happy to think of you having it. The gifts I give to strangers whose ornaments I've chosen from our West Giving Tree, as so many of you have. Gifts of grace. Gifts of love. For which I don't expect back a present of equal or greater value. Those gifts that bring love into their lives, it's because they connect us to each other, I think. And that seems to me to be the point of all of it, the point of all of the gift-giving, the gift-giving that's right and right for us. When I worked in fundraising, one of the things I learned was that charitable giving should feel good. You know, it, it shouldn't feel bad to give charitably. It should feel good because you're able to support something that you love and that you care about. It should feel great, actually. And the same is true of the personal gifts that we give each other, I think. Now, gifts of love and connection may seem like a small thing when we think about all that needs to be done in the world. But I think then about Cornell West's words, that justice is what love looks like in public. Isn't that great? Justice is what love looks like in public. And I wonder if the gift-giving that we engage in might not be an invitation to a deeper kind of giving, a deeper kind of spirit, if it might not be a building up of love in private so that we can go public with it, so that we can, can build justice that we seek, so that we can fight inequality, that all that building up might enable us to give deeply and fully to the world. This season, whether you have a giant list that you are still checking off or just a few bars of fair trade chocolate to buy, I hope that you find a way to hold each gift with love, to imbue it with love, to offer it with love, to receive them with love, to find meaning that way in the giving and the receiving. Life will always be filled with tension. 
with the desire to give a doll to our own child and also to feed the children of the world. And the holiday season is that time perhaps most filled with that tension. It is for me, anyway. Sometimes it is simply enough to remember that we don't have to choose just one or just the other. Enough to remember that love in private becomes justice in public. I close then with words from my colleague Sean Dennison. He posts a little wish, a little hope or prayer on on Facebook every day. And this morning, this is what he wrote. To remember we are creators as well as consumers. We can create hope, goodness, love. May you do so in your giving this season.